In February 2021, EFCA pastors and church leaders gathered virtually for our annual theology conference. The focus of the conference was on the theme, the Psalms, the Under Shepherd's Shepherd. On this episode of the podcast, we share Donald Whitney's message, the Psalms and Christian prayer. Donald serves as professor of biblical spirituality and associate dean of the School of Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. With the two most important personal spiritual disciplines, I believe there is an almost universal problem. The two most important are the intake of the Word of God and prayer. And in that order, for it's more important for us to hear from God through His Word than for God to hear from us in prayer. And with both of them, as I said, I think there's an almost universal problem. With the intake of the Word of God, the almost universal problem is this. And and it's true even among our most devoted daily Bible readers. They take their Bible, they read a chapter, maybe they read three chapters or ten chapters. But most days, as soon as they close their Bible, if pressed, they'd have to admit, I don't remember a thing I read. And that's not very effective, (laughs) at the very least. It's frustrating. I I forget it. I don't remember what I've read. And people tend to assume, well, I guess it's just me. I'm just a second-rate Christian. I, I never had a good memory, or I'm losing what memory I did have, or never had a high IQ, never had a good education. That's why I don't remember what I read in the Bible. Well, all those things may be true, but that's not why people don't remember what they read in the Bible. It's not their memory, most likely. Rather, it is their method. And the method of most people is to merely read the Bible. But merely reading the Bible was never intended to be the primary means of absorbing the Scriptures. And it's the absorption of Scripture that leads to the experience with God and the transformation of life we long for when we come to the Scriptures. And my contention is we just don't do that. There's a simple, permanent biblical solution to that problem, and it is meditation on Scripture. Once again, I I think the problem is not that people can't meditate on Scripture, they just don't. Well, Normally, I will teach maybe three hours on a Saturday morning at a church about meditation on Scripture, but that's not what I'm here to talk about today. Rather, I'm going to talk about the almost universal problem with the other of the two most important personal spiritual disciplines, and that's prayer. And it looks like this in real life, that when we do pray, we tend to say the same old things about the same old things, right? The same old things about the same old things. And when you've said the same old things about the same old things about, I don't know, a thousand times, how, how do you feel about saying them again? Did anyone dare use the B word? Yeah, bored. We can be talking about the most fascinating, the most important things in our lives to the most fascinating person in the universe and be bored to death. Not because we don't love God, not because we don't love who or what we're praying about. I would contend that if a person is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, the problem in prayer is not them. It's almost certainly their 
method. And the method of most Christians is to say the same old things about the same old things most of the time. And when you do that, well, it tends to be monotonous, doesn't it? it uh, I mean, words without variety tend to become words without meaning. Now, I made that very important caveat when I said, if a person is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, I, I think I said that, that if a person is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, the problem is almost certainly not them in prayer, but rather their, their method. Now, I did make that very important caveat because I think the problem and perhaps the biggest problem in most of our churches is the church member who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, the unconverted church member. Because those who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, remember, have two people living in their body. They live there, of course, and another person, he's not a force, a person who is the Holy Spirit. And when there are two people living in your body, and expectant moms, of course, have three people living in their bodies. And, and just like that expectant mom, when that other person lives within you, pretty soon you know that. And after a while, it becomes evident to other people, there's another person living in your body. And in the case of the Holy Spirit, when that alien presence from heaven comes to live within you, he brings his holy nature with him. You began to have new holy hungers you didn't have before the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You hunger for the holy word of God you used to find boring or, or irrelevant. You hunger for experience with God. You hunger for fellowship with his people, not, not mere socializing. That, that's talking about news, weather, sports, work, family, politics. That's good, healthy, and normal. That's what we call common grace. The, the godliest of Christians do a lot of socializing. But unfortunately, I think when we say the word fellowship, socializing is the picture that comes to most people's minds. Rather, I'm talking about koinonia, talking about God and the things of God. And the point is that those indwelled by the Holy Spirit hunger for that. They can't be satisfied with mere socializing all the time. They, they want to talk about God. They want to talk about the things of God, the things of the scriptures, answers to prayer, testimonies. They, they want to talk about God when they're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. person indwelled by the Holy Spirit has new holy longings they didn't have before the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They, they, they long to live in a body without sin anymore. They long to live with a mind no longer attracted to sin and temptation ever again. They long to live in a, in a holy and perfect world where there's no more terrorism, there's no more racism, there's no more traffic jams, there's no more frustrations of any kind. And they long to live in that holy and perfect world with holy and perfect people. What Jonathan Edwards called a world of love. And those indwelled by the Holy Spirit long more than anything at last to see the face of the one the angels call holy, holy, holy. And those things are the heartbeat of all those in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. And one of the things the Holy Spirit does in all those in whom he dwells is that he causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. We have this new fatherward orientation, this heavenward orientation we did not have before the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
In other words, all those indwelled by the Holy Spirit really want to pray. Abba, Father. And yet, while that impulse is pressing against one side of our souls, pressing against that from the other side is our experience. And our experience says, yes, I I want God. I believe in God. I try to pray. I want to pray. But when I pray, frankly, it's boring. So we conclude, I guess it's just me. I'm just something wrong with me. I guess I'm just a second-rate Christian. I don't want it to be that way. I try for it not to be that way. I go to conferences on prayer, hear sermons about prayer, read books about prayer. I go back to prayer, re-motivated, revitalized. But it's, it's pretty much the same old things about the same old things, but just a little more oomph behind it for a while. But pretty soon that evaporates away and find myself back where I was before. Now, feeling guiltier than ever because I'd gone back to prayer so recommitted, so revitalized, and here I am again. So I guess I'm just a second-rate Christian. No, I, I, I contend that if a person is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, he has given us all that we need to have a meaningful, satisfying prayer life. Well, the problem, though, is not that we pray about the same old things. See, we said we tend to say the same old things about the same old things. That tends to be boring after a while and, 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 and meaningless. And so what's the problem? Well, it's not that we pray about the same old things. In fact, I would contend to pray about the same old things is, well, pretty normal. <clears throat> if I could ask you to go outside right now or, you know, get alone and and pray for about 10 minutes by yourselves without any instructions. When you came back together and I said, how did it go? I'm pretty sure nearly every one of you would pray, would say that you prayed about the same six things. Actually, you'd pray about your family. In some broad general strokes or another, you'd pray about your parents, your your spouse, your siblings, your, your children. Um... Some family-related prayer. Singles might pray to be married. It it would be some family-related prayer in some way or another. You'd pray about your future. Some decision that's before you. Should you make that change or not? Should you make that move or or should you not? You'd pray about your finances and God's provision for those bills, for that car, for school. Most people would pray about their work or their their schoolwork if they're full-time students. In other words, I mean, it's normal to pray about where you spend most of your waking hours during the week, right? You'd pray about your church ministry that you have, perhaps someone you're sharing the gospel with down the street, but some some Christian concern, some ministry, some something about the things of God in that way, and then the current crisis in your life. Statistically, I'm told that each of us has a pretty significant life crisis on the average of, you know, every six months or so. Now, if that's true, I, you know, I'm about 10 years ahead. I don't know about you, but uh, it, it can be a good thing or a bad thing. It can be a birth or a death. It can be a job change you want or, or one you don't want. But it's on the order of magnitude such that when you go to pray, it's one of the first things that pops into your head. You don't need any prayer list to remember this thing. Well, you know, if your prayer life is dominated by by these six things, cheer up, you're normal. 
You know why these six things dominate your prayer life? Because these things are your life. If you're going to pray about your life, these six things are your life. If you question that, tell me how much of your life has no connection whatsoever to your family, your future, your finances, your work or your schoolwork, your church, ministry, a Christian concern, and the current crisis. That's your life, right? So if you're going to pray about your life every day, and these six things are your life, and this is what you pray about, and the, thank the Lord, these six things don't change dramatically very often, right? You know what that means? You're going to pray about the same old things pretty much every time. That's not the problem. That's normal. The problem is that we say the same old things about the same old things, and that's yeah, boring. It tends to get boring pretty quickly. And when prayer is boring, you don't feel like praying, do you? You don't feel like praying because you know you're about to do something and you know in advance it's going to be boring. And when you know in advance something's going to be boring, you don't get excited about it, do you? And when you don't feel like praying, you know what we tend not to do? To pray. Oh, we try to pray, you know, but, but five to seven minutes can feel like an eternity. And our minds are wondering half the time, if not more. And suddenly we come to ourselves and say, now, wait a minute, where was I? I haven't been thinking about God for the last several minutes. And we come back to that mental script, those same old things that we've said so many times. And we pick it up where we left off a few moments ago. But because we have said the same old thing so many times, our minds almost immediately begin wandering in another direction. And we feel defeated. And we feel like second-rate Christians say, I guess it's just me. And before long, it's pretty easy to feel like that little girl who used to go to bed every night saying that same old memorized prayer. That sweet colonial prayer, actually, now I lay me down to sleep. And one night she thought to herself, why does God need to hear me say this again? Again and again and again. So one night she just recorded that into her phone and every night thereafter she just played the recording when she went to bed. Now some of you may be laughing, but you have prayer recordings in your heads. They're just a little more sophisticated than that, right? And I'm pretty sure that somewhere in your family, somewhere in your Christian background, somewhere in your church maybe, there are people that every time they pray, when they're called on to pray, they say the same old thing. So much so that if they were to drop dead in the middle of their prayer, eight other people could stand up and finish their prayer because we've all heard it so many times. And our hearts don't soar when we hear that kind of praying. We just sort of politely endure it, you know. And it's heartless, and it's bloodless, and it's lifeless. And we know prayer shouldn't be that way, but it is that way because that's the way most of us learn how to pray, by hearing other people pray. We string things together in our own way. We pick phrases here and there that, that seem to stick in our minds, and we string them together, and that becomes our prayer, and it's the same prayer every time. And we know it shouldn't be like that, but we don't know what else to do. That's the way we learn how to pray. So we soldier on, feeling like second-rate Christians. Well, what's the solution to that? I would contend that <clears throat> whatever it is, it must be fundamentally simple. 
Why? <laughs> I, I wish I could hear from you on that. Well, the reason why it must be fundamentally simple is because God has people all over the earth, right? And if it requires all of us to do the same things, then it must be fundamentally simple. He has Christians all over the world, some with high IQ, some with low IQ, some with a great deal of education, some with very little education, some with a great many Christian privileges, and some with just a few. I was on a mission trip once with a, to, on a mission trip to the bush country of Kenya. Not even the pastor had a Bible. Oh, very few Christian privileges. Contrast that with the people in your church who have many Bibles, perhaps. They have a choice of churches where the Bible is preached. They have Christian books available to them. They have Christian podcasts, Christian radio. They, they can go on the internet. They can hear the best Bible teaching and preaching in the world 24-7, even by guys who were dead. They have things where, where, where they can you know, download Christian books and have them in their hands in 30 seconds, almost any Christian book in the world. Incredible amounts of Christian privileges. And that's true for you who are hearing me. And so if you, with all these Christian privileges, if you can't have a meaningful, satisfying prayer life, then, then what about our brothers and sisters in the middle of the Sudan? in the middle of China who don't have any of your Christian privileges? Are you telling me that they can't have a meaningful, satisfying prayer life? No. None of you would say that. You'd just say, well, Whitney, I I guess that's pretty tight logic that if I, with all my Christian privileges, if, if I can have a meaningful, satisfying prayer life, then then you know, no, no one in the world can because very few people in the world have as many Christian privileges as I do. But none of you would say that. You would just say, look, I, I, I don't know about Christians in the middle of China. I don't even know where the Sudan is. I, I just know about me, okay? And I, I just know that when I pray, frankly, it's boring. So I guess it's just me. I, I guess I'm just a second-rate Christian. In fact, now that you put it like that, that with all my Christian privileges, I still don't have a meaningful, satisfying prayer life. I'm not just a second-rate Christian. I'm a third-rate Christian. I'm worse off than I thought. Thanks a lot. Boy, I'm glad I watched this video. Glad I came to this conference. No, this is good news. But I've put it so starkly in hopes of convincing you of the, the, the biblical logic that anything like prayer, God requires of all his children all over the world, regardless of the differences in age or IQ or education or Christian privileges. If we're all to do the same things, then it's got to be fundamentally simple, right? It must be doable for you to have a meaningful, satisfying prayer life. And it is. So what is the simple, permanent, biblical solution to this almost universal problem? Well, here it is. When you pray, pray the Bible. (laughs) Pray the Bible, especially the Psalms. Now, I'm sure none of you went, 
No, because you've heard something like this before, most of us. And, and when we've heard teachings through the epistles of Paul, especially like Ephesians 1 or you know Ephesians 3, we come across these prayers of Paul and we say, you know, we ought to pray those prayers today. And we should. But my contention is we can pray the whole letter of Ephesians, not just the prayers in Ephesians. But I think the best place in Scripture from which to pray the Scriptures is in the book of Psalms. So turn with me to the very famous 23rd Psalm, and let me illustrate what it would be like to, to do what I'm advocating here, and that is to pray through one of the Psalms. So let's say that you've already done your Bible uh, reading for the day, maybe, you know, over in Ephesians or somewhere else, and you say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray one of the Psalms today. And I think I'll pray through the 23rd Psalm as I go to prayer. And you open to the 23rd Psalm and you pray and you come across these famous words and you begin to pray and it looks like this. The Lord is my shepherd. And you pray something like, Lord, I, I thank you that you are my shepherd. <clears throat> You're a good shepherd. And you've shepherded me all my life. But, oh, great shepherd, would you shepherd my, my family today? Guide them into the ways of God. Guard them from the ways of the world. Lead them not into temptation. Deliver them from evil. And, oh, Lord, would you make my family your sheep too? Cause them to love you as their shepherd, as I love you as my shepherd. And, Lord, would you shepherd me in this decision about my, my future I want to do what you want me to do, Lord. Shepherd me into your will. And I pray for under-shepherds at the, at the church. Please shepherd them as they shepherd us. And on and on you go praying about whatever comes to mind when you read, the Lord is my shepherd. And then when nothing else comes to mind, you go to the next line, I shall not want. Lord, you might pray, I, I think you have never really been in want. Well, I haven't missed many meals. All that I have, all that I am is from you, Lord. But I know it pleases you that I bring my desires to you. And so, Lord, would you provide those finances that we need for those bills, for school, for that car? Or you know someone who really is in want and you pray for them or you pray for persecuted believers in other places of the world. And when nothing else comes to mind, you go on. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And you pray something like, Lord, I, I pray you'd enable me somehow to lie down and take a nap today. Now, hold on for those hermeneutical red flags that just went up. I'll come back to that. But you read lie down and that's what comes to mind and so you turn that into prayer he makes me lie down in green pastures and that makes you think about the teaching ministry you have where you feed god's flock in the green pastures of his word and you pray about that that god will enable you to do that and feed his people faithfully satisfyingly in the green pastures of his word 
then maybe your mind begins to wonder at some point because you're thinking about the church. But you, you come to yourself and or, or maybe just noise outside, a dog barking or something causes you to your mind to wonder a bit. Well, now you've got something to come back to and it's fresh and it's different. And it's this next line, he restores my soul. And your prayer at this point is something like, Lord, please restore to me the joy of your salvation. I come to you so spiritually dry today. Restore to me a fresh awareness of your presence and your blessing. Or you think of that person you've been trying to share the gospel with, and you pray God would restore their soul from darkness to light, from death to life. And on and on you would go through this psalm until either A, well, I, I, I missed, skipped a verse, so let me go back to that. The second part of verse 2, he leads me beside quiet waters. So Lord, do lead me in this decision about my future. I want to do what you want me to do, Lord. I'm just not sure what that is. Lead me, Lord, and lead me beside quiet waters. Quiet the anxious waters in my soul about this decision. Quiet the waters in our family. Quiet the waters in our church. But Lord, lead me beside those still, quiet waters. And so on and on you would go through this passage until either A, you run out of time, or B, you run out of psalm. And if you run out of psalm before you run out of time, you know what you do? It's pretty simple. You're probably already ahead of these. You simply turn the page. Go on to another psalm. I require my students at the seminary once during the semester to spend four consecutive hours alone with God sometime during the semester. First day I mentioned that you should see them go, you know, what am I going to do for four hours? Once I've taught them how to meditate on scripture and especially how to do this, how to pray the Bible, most of them spend the entire four hours just alternating between those two. Perhaps praying the Bible and they're taking a prayer walk and, and they they finish an entire psalm. Well, they just turn the page and go on. Do you see how you could do that for four hours and never run out of anything to say? But better yet, let's circle back to where we started a few minutes ago. And never repeat yourself. Pray the Bible. You never again say the same old things about the same old things. See how easy that is? Anybody can do that. You don't have to remember anything. You just open your Bible, start talking with God about what comes to mind as you come through the text. And you can do that until you run out of time. Whether you have four minutes or whether you have four hours, this works. You just go through it line by line, talking to God about whatever comes to mind, even if, now listen carefully here, because this is the most... Uh, this is the most potentially misunderstandable thing that I will say. When I say pray about whatever comes to mind, even if what comes to mind has nothing to do with the text. Now, let me defend that from the text. What does the text of Scripture tell us to pray about? Everything, right? We're to pray about everything. So everything that comes to mind as you're praying through a text 
is worthy of prayer, even if it doesn't come from the text. For example, let's say you're praying through that psalm that says, Oh Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? And your friend, Mark, comes to mind. What should you do? <laughs> well, pray for Mark. Now, you know Mark isn't mentioned in that text. But pray for Mark. Besides, I mean, that verb, that's a verb, and your friend Mark is a noun. But, but pray for Mark. It's a good thing to pray for Mark. So that's why I say whatever comes to mind, even if it has nothing to do with the text, is something worthy of praying about. So pray about that. So let me contrast what I'm talking about here in prayer with just about every other kind of coming to the Bible I can think of. And every other kind of coming to the Bible I can think of, reading it for understanding, certainly preparing to preach or teach it. Our first responsibility is what does the text say? What does the text mean? We're to exegete, dig out God's meaning that he put in the text. Then we apply it and so forth. But that's not what I'm talking about here. With what I'm talking about here, our primary activity is actually prayer. And we're praying while secondarily glancing at the text. And I'm saying that if you pray while you're glancing at the text, just turn whatever comes to mind from there into prayer. And I have enough confidence in the Word and in the Spirit that if people will pray that way, their prayers will be far more biblical than they ever would be praying without the text. And if you have any concern that someone may pray the Bible like that, come up with some weird interpretation and, and thereby infect the church with it, let me say, first of all, I've never known that to happen. Second, I'd freely admit it could happen. But third, if it did happen, Paul tells us in the pastoral epistles, it's the job of the pastoral leadership to gently correct such a person. But I'd much rather have that job of gently correcting someone who is in the Bible and trying to pray the Bible than someone who's not praying at all or in the Bible at all. Because if someone prays without the Bible, which is what most people do, right? They just make up their own prayers. I guarantee you, that they're going to more quickly pray amiss than if they're trying to pray the Bible. In my first pastorate, we had a prayer emphasis at our church. And one night we gathered at the home of a deacon and we all knelt and we began to pray. And this deacon said, oh, Lord, make us free in the spirit. I said, amen. And then he said, no, Lord, make us free in the flesh. I almost leaned over and hit him when he said that. Don't pray that, man. That's the problem around here. That's the way people pray without the Bible. But when people pray the Bible, they're using the very words of God. And their prayers are affected by the, the word of God, the theology of the word, the, the spirit of God. These things are, are teaching them to pray. And over time, their prayers are far more biblical than they ever would be praying without the Bible. And it's so easy. Anybody can do that. You just open the Bible, talk to God about what you read in the text. And if you come to a verse, you don't understand it, fine, skip it. Go on to the next verse. If you understand the next verse perfectly, but it just doesn't prompt anything to pray about, fine, go on to the next verse. You'll come to those imprecatory psalms. You know, oh Lord, dash their children's heads against the rock and smash their teeth in their mouth and cause them to dissolve like the snail into the slime. 
well, maybe one of your athletic opponents is someone you could pray that for, or some political candidate. No, I don't think we put people's names in there anymore. I think ultimately we put all the Psalms in the mouth of Jesus, and someday he's going to do far worse than just smash the teeth in the mouth of his lifelong unrepentant enemies, right? I think we can ultimately pray, oh, Lord, you know, I'm on your side. I want your righteousness to prevail. I want all I want all unrighteousness to be crushed forever. I want all lifelong unrepentant opposition to you to be destroyed forever. But let's make this real life. Let's say two or three days from now, you begin to pray through a psalm. You come to one of those imprecatory psalms and you say, now that, that Whitney guy, Heard teach on praying the Bible, told us how to pray through one of these sections. I forget what he said. Fine, skip the whole section. There's nothing that says you have to pray over every verse. There's nothing that says you have to finish the psalm. I was teaching this once in Santa Rosa, California, and gave people a chance to try it, and one woman prayed 25 minutes, and she never got past, The Lord is my shepherd. Five words, and she prayed for 25 minutes. And do you really think the Lord was up there going, ah, you didn't finish that song? No, I think he was delighted that she could find so much delight in him as her shepherd. She could pray to him for 25 minutes about being her shepherd. But you know, the very next day, she may have been up in Psalm 22 with, with 31 verses. And in 31 verses, maybe only a half a dozen things came to mind. Fine. Turn the page. Go to another psalm. Folks, one of the beautiful things about this is you really can't do it wrong. You really can't mess it up. Now, that's to be a pastoral encouragement for people who are fearful that because they don't know the Bible very well or that they, if they get into this, maybe they'll misunderstand something and mess something up. And believe me, I, I've pastored in an area for 15 years where that was common among the most dominant religious group there who were basically encouraged not to get into the Bible for themselves, to leave it to the professionals who will tell them what things mean. Because if you get into the Bible, you might misunderstand. No, no, we want everybody in the Bible as much as possible. And so that's why anybody can do this. The one who knows the Bible least, the one who knows the Bible best, the one who is the most spiritually mature, the one who is least spiritually mature. If you'd led someone to Christ right before coming to watch this video, and they've never been in church one minute of their life, they've never read one verse of the Bible in their life, they could do this right now. The Lord is my shepherd. Um, uh, um, Lord, please uh, um, shepherd me as I grow as a Christian. <laughs> he got it. He got it, right? Now, he's going to skip over a lot more verses than you because he doesn't know the Bible. But he can do it. And over time, as he learns more and more of the Bible, he, he prays better and his prayers conform more to Scripture and Scripture teaches his prayer, his prayer life, teaches him how to pray. Oh, how I wish I'd been taught to pray like this when I was a child. But it's so simple. Anyone can do it. 
You don't need any notes. You don't need to remember anything except take your Bible, open your Bible, and talk to God about what you see there. Anybody can do this. Now, let me introduce a little math into your prayer life here. And for some people, it's like, oh, no. Well, there, there's a reason for this. Learning this little event, called, this little matter called the Psalms of the day will prevent two problems, especially this one. One that looks like this. Oh, 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 I'm so, so sleepy. I'm going to try to pray through one of the Psalms like that Whitney guy taught us. So, all right. All right, here we go. No, I don't like that one. All right. Now I used that one the other day. All right, you're already going downhill, right? You're already losing momentum. In our devotional life, we need all the help we can get, right? This helps. <laughs> this helps. Praise the Psalms of the day. This helps with that because it gives you a place to go. In fact, we're going to see that it gives you five places to go every single day. So, for example, we have 150 psalms, right? And generally 30 days in the month, which divides out five times. Or to put it another way, if on the first of the month you read the first five psalms, on the second of the month you read five more psalms, on the third of the month you read five more psalms, and you read five different psalms every day, well, by the end of the month, you'd have read the whole book of psalms. Well, that's a great practice. I know people have done that, but that's not really what I'm advocating. What I'm suggesting is that you quickly scan five psalms and pick one as the one you pray through that day. So let me illustrate it this way. Suppose that today is the 15th of the month. Now, and by the way, that's where you start. Whatever the day of the month is, that's, that's step one. What's, what's today? That's the hardest part. If you can figure that out, you can do this. So let's pretend that today is the 15th of the month. On the 15th of the month, what do you think the first psalm is you look at on the 15th of the month? The 15th. Brilliant. You're going to get this. So on the 15th of the month, the first psalm we look at, Psalm 15. To get the next one, we add 30. Why 30? 30 days in the month. Right? So that gives us 45. Psalm, the, the psalm of the day is 15, because that's the 15th of the month, and we add 30 more to get 45. Then just keep adding 30 until we get how many? Until we get five. Right? So 30 more is 75. 30 more is 105. 30 more is 135. So those five numbers in gold are the five psalms of the day. Whenever the day of the month is the the 15th, right? Whether it's the 15th of March or the 15th of April or the 15th of May. I mean, if it's the 15th of the month, the 15th Psalm is the first one you look at. Then you just keep adding 30 until you get five. What do we do on the 31st? I'm glad you asked. Psalm 119. Now that's going to come up on the 29th, isn't it? Because on the 29th, the Psalms of the day are the 29th Psalm. Add 30 to get the 59th Psalm. 30 more is 89. 30 more is, here it is, 119. 30 more is 149. But even if you use Psalm 119 on the 31st of the month, uh, on the 29th, uh, you'll probably have plenty left over for the 31st. 
So once again, wh- why, why do that? Why do that? Well, because number one, it gives you a place to go. You're not just aimlessly thumbing through your Bible, trying to find a Psalm that you haven't used before that you like. It gives you a place to go. But better than that, it gives you five places to go. So you've got variety. You've got direction, but you've got variety. You're not locked into one psalm. So it gives you some direction. It gives you some variety. And the other benefit is over time, it systematically exposes you to all 150 psalms. And they're all equally inspired. They're not all equally easy to pray through, but they are all equally inspired. But fear not. If you thought, well, this is too complicated. I don't like math anyway. Fear not. Technology comes to the rescue because here is a free app that does it all for you. It's an app called Five Psalms. Spell it out. F-I-V-E Psalms. It's free. Uh, a brother read my little book on praying the Bible. <clears throat> and a brother in California is a software developer. And he said, I can come up with an app for that. And he did. So help yourself. You just um, scroll through it. I'll illustrate it here on uh, how this works on my iPad. And... Um, So it automatically opens up to the Psalms of the day. So I'm recording this on the 6th of the month. So it opens up to Psalm 6. Then you scroll 36, 66, 96, and 126. And you can punch the buttons at the bottom. Go back to the 6th, 36, 66. And you can even add the chapter Proverbs for the month as one of the settings. And there are different translations. (coughs) So excuse me. Um, that go get it that free psalm free psalms of the day app <clears throat> but why the psalms <clears throat> because they have a unique place in scripture while all 66 books are equally inspired the psalms was inspired for a unique purpose and you probably know that we get we get the psalms of course from god right but why did god give us the psalms so that we would sing them back to god they were the songbook of israel God inspired the Psalms for the Psalms to be sung back to God. And in fact, we have two verses in the New Testament. Ephesians 5, 19 uh, says we're to sing psalms and spiritual songs. And Colossians uh, 3, 17 says the same thing. We're still to be singing psalms. But they were inspired by God to be reflected to God. No other book of the Bible was inspired for that expressed purpose. Therefore, I think... It is the best and the easiest place in Scripture from which to pray Scripture. Almost never go anywhere else but the Psalms when I pray the Bible. But let me quickly take you to the second best place, I think, for um, praying the Bible, and that is the New Testament letters. And so I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And the reason for this is I'm fairly confident you're not familiar with 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I chose Psalm 23 at the beginning because I wanted to illustrate the method with a very familiar passage of Scripture. And I could have said, okay, here's how you do this with a New Testament letter. Turn to Romans 8. Yeah, but you know Romans 8. Turn to Ephesians uh, or 1 Corinthians 13. Well, you know that. And, and I'm cherry-picking some of the best-known passages in the Bible. But in real life, most of the chapters in the New Testament letters aren't nearly as familiar as Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 13. So I'm trying to simulate a real day now, maybe four days from now. 
And here you are praying through 1 Thessalonians 2. But it raises the question, well, you know, if the Psalms are so great for this, why would someone ever pray through 1 Thessalonians 2? Most likely because that's where they're doing their daily Bible reading. In their daily Bible reading, they're going through 1 Thessalonians right now. Today they read chapter 2 and they said, you know what? This really ministered to me. I want to go back and pray through what I just read through. But whatever the reason, if I were to pray through 1 Thessalonians 2 today, it would look something like this. <clears throat> For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you is not in vain. Oh, Lord, I pray that my coming to, to teach at, at this conference would not be in vain. I, I pray that there would be much lasting fruit. No one would walk away from watching this video saying, well, that was a waste of time. That was in vain. Oh, Lord, let there be much lasting fruit from the time spent watching this video. <clears throat> but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi's, you know, we'll just stop right there. Two things stand out immediately, right? Suffered and shamefully treated. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're suffering right now or been shamefully treated. Or you know someone who has been. It prompts you to pray about that situation or pray for that person. We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Oh, God, give me the boldness to declare the gospel of that person down the street that I've been trying to witness to, that person at, at work or somewhere else. This, and despite the uh, conflict that's been between us, a conflict with the government or false religions. Verse 3, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Oh, Lord, I pray for that friend of mine, that person I know who's coming under error. They're studying with people they ought to not pay any attention with. They're watching someone on television they shouldn't pay any attention to. Or the phrase there about impurity causes you to pray about your own temptation to impurity or your spouse's or your child's or any attempt to deceive. And maybe you think of some young man being deceived by a young woman or vice versa. And you pray about that. Well, if you were to pray your way through 1 Thessalonians 2 like this, how long do you think it would take you? <laughs> Quite a while, you're thinking, right? But you wouldn't run out of anything to say. And let's circle back to where we started. And that prayer, even as long as it would be, would be unlike any prayer you ever prayed in your life. Once again, pray the Bible. You never Again, say the same old things about the same old things. You'll pray about the same old things. They'll come oozing out of every text, but you won't say the same old things about the same old things. And once having done this, I'm confident you can go to just about any part of Scripture and pray the Bible. Okay, what I want to do right now is have you do this. So, uh, be prepared to pause this video in just a moment. I want to ask you to find a psalm. It doesn't matter. Just pick a favorite. And when the video is paused, I want you to uh, silently, individually pray for about seven minutes. And uh, someone will restart the video in, uh, in seven minutes. And just pray your way through one of the psalms. All right? Let's pause the video and begin prayer.
Now, if I were with you in person, I would say, how did it go? When I do this in a local church, I, I will walk down, you know, right in front of the first pew and where people are and they've just been praying and say, well, how did it go? And there's some wonderful testimonies. And oh, how I wish I could hear yours right now. But let me tell you many of the things that every group says. I ask them, how did it go? I already know what they're going to say because every group says the same thing. If you have access to my little book, Pray, Praying the Bible, um, there's a there's a two-page chapter where I say, okay, I want you to do this now. And you turn the page and it says, are you still reading the book or are you actually doing it? No, put the book down. I want you to actually do this. And then the next chapter is, when I teach on this in churches, here are the common things people say in response to having prayed the Bible. One is, it's like a real conversation with a real person. And that's what prayer is, isn't it? It is a real conversation with a real person. And when you pray the Bible, you experience prayer for what it really is. Because this is God speaking, isn't it? Isn't it? This is God speaking. And when we pray the Bible, God speaks in verse 1 and says, He is your shepherd. And like a real conversation with a real person, you respond to God speaking. Thank you, Lord. You are my shepherd. Shepherd my family in this. Shepherd me in that. And then when you've said everything you want to say, what do you do in a real conversation with a real person? You listen, right? You let the other person speak. And that's called, read verse 2. And that's God speaking in verse 2. But maybe what God says in verse 2 doesn't prompt a response from you. So God continues to speak in verse 3, verse 4. Maybe then in verse 5, <clears throat> you're ready to enter the conversation again. And God is willing to have that conversation with you as long as you want. So when you pray the Bible, you experience prayer for what it actually is, a real conversation with a real person. We're not imagining God saying things to us away with that kind of mysticism. This is God speaking to us. Another thing people say when I have them do this is that it's more God-centered. It's not just prayers about me. Lord, here I am to ask you to do what I want you to do for me. It's a more God-centered way of doing that. You, you still bring a request to God, but in a more God-centered way. Because often, especially in the Psalms, it's, it's, it's more praise-centric. And people also say when they do this that um, their prayers are more biblical. They didn't run out of things to say. It was fresh. Their mind didn't wander as much. Oh, it's going to sooner or later because, well, you may be tired or you'd be distracted. But as I said, <clears throat> now you've got something to come back to, the next verse, and it's fresh. And it helps you stay focused longer. <clears throat> These and other kinds of things are the sorts of things that people say when they respond to, how did it go? And I'm sorry I didn't get to hear your testimonies. But if you ever teach this to someone else, no, I hope you do. And if you want to teach it, you get the little book, Praying the Bible, you have all my notes. <clears throat> but if you do, two things you must do. Even if you don't have an hour, as I've had to teach this, and normally I have two hours to teach this, and 
If you teach this to anyone else, there's two things you must do. First and foremost, give them an opportunity to try it right then. Not next week's class. <laughs> they may not be here next week. Or the people who come next week didn't hear the teaching of how to do it the previous week. Have them do it right then. Because if you don't, I know exactly what will happen. They'll walk out of there going, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, it's a real good idea. Yeah, I'll have to try that someday. And they never will. But when you have them try it right then, often people's lives are transformed. I see more other than preaching the gospel. I see more instantaneous and permanent changes in people's lives after they pray the Bible than anything else I ever do. Give them an opportunity right then. You may only have 30 minutes to do this, but give them an opportunity. Maybe give them less than seven minutes if you have to. I, I On two hours with a church, I give people seven minutes. When I have class at the seminary and I have a couple of long classes to do this, I'll give them 25 minutes to walk the campus and pray the Bible. Give them a chance to do it right then. Secondly, give them an opportunity for feedback. Let them testify. Let them talk about that experience. Because many people fresh off the experience are ready to share things that are, are remarkable and are encouraging to other people. Well, my time is, is, is gone. Let me try to, um, well, I didn't talk about how to do this in a narrative passage of Scripture. Um, with a narrative passage, you have to back up. And we have to know how to do this because narrative is most of our Bible, right? You back up and get the big picture. And you pray about the big, broad brushstrokes, not every individual detail that's there. Because some, most of the time with narratives, you have details that lead up to the main point, right? The big idea. Maybe only the big idea will be what you pray about in a narrative passage. But again, once having done this, I'm confident people can open up to any part of their Bible. So what have we learned here? We said that when people pray, they tend to say the same old gray colorless things about the same old things. But now, by praying the Bible... When they pray through Psalm 23, they don't just pray, Lord, bless my family, which they do every day maybe. Now it's, Lord, shepherd my family. And there's something about that shepherding imagery that just transforms the prayer. The next day, you may pray that your family would manifest 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. The next day, because you're praying through Psalm 1, you pray that God would, that your family would become meditators on the Word of God. Isn't that a wonderful thing to pray for someone? But would you ever in your life do that if you didn't pray through Psalm 1? The next day you might pray that manifest the fruit of the Spirit because you're in that passage. The next day you're in Psalm 139, you pray that they would sense the presence of God wherever they go. Do you see that you've really prayed the same thing every day? You've prayed, Lord, bless my family. But when you pray, bless my family, through a different passage of Scripture, it comes out a different prayer. So that's why you're basically going to pray about the same things, but you're not going to say the same things. The scriptures are going to give you fresh things to say about the things you, you, that mean the most to you. That's why they're your life. You're going to pray about them every day, but you're going to say them differently without having to remember or to generate new ideas. You just pray about what you see in the scripture. And what will happen, and this is often one of the things that people will say after they've been through the experience. I prayed about things I never prayed about before. Things I never would have thought about to pray. 
And the other people will say, but I prayed about many of the same things I do pray for every day, but in brand new ways. (laughs) And they didn't have to come up with any of that. It just happened as they prayed through the scripture. How do you do this with a group? Well, I'm sorry, I don't have time to tell you. you. You can see this, maybe pause this, or you may have a handout that summarizes this. This is an appendix in the back of my little book, Praying the Bible. I have my students read the biography of George Mueller, considered by many the greatest man of prayer and faith since the times of the New Testament. He lived nearly the entire 1900s, uh, 19th century in Bristol, England. Uh, best known, he had four international ministries in his day, best known for his orphanage in England. And uh, he had over 50,000 specific recorded answers to prayer in his journals, 30,000 of which he said were answered the same day or hour they prayed them. I wish I could tell you the whole story, but the point is, George Mueller said that for 10 years into this, he's already famous as a great man of prayer and faith. He said he would try to pray for half an hour or an hour before he really began to get into the spirit of prayer, before he felt like praying. And only then did he begin to pray. So you try and try for half an hour to an hour before we really got going. What do we do? Five minutes, seven minutes, that feels like an eternity. Our mind is wandering and then we're done. But he would stay with it until he felt like praying. Until he said he made one slight alteration in his prayer life. You know what it was? Yeah, what you just did. He started praying the Bible. And Mueller said after he did that, he never suffered this way anymore. And then Spurgeon, a great hero to so many of us, said somewhere, we ought to pray when we feel like it. I've spent the last hour saying we tend not to pray because we don't feel like it, right? Spurgeon said we ought to pray when we feel like it because it'd be terrible to miss such an opportunity. But he went on to say, and we should pray when we don't feel like it because it would be terrible to miss such an opportunity. I mean, it would be terrible to remain in such a condition. Pray when you feel like it. It'd be terrible to miss such an opportunity. But pray when you don't feel like it. It'd be terrible to remain in such a condition. I wish I could think of things like that to say. But the reality is you get up, let's say, 7 o'clock in the morning, you go to pray, you don't feel like praying, cheer up. You're normal. You know why you don't feel like praying? You're sleepy. Nobody wakes up with their hearts on fire for the things of God. I mean, we're, I, I'm dead to the world when I wake up. I'm, I run into door frames when I wake up in the morning. But the good news is we are not subject to those feelings. God said to Jeremiah, it's not my word like a hammer and a fire. It's like a hammer that breaks hard hearts. It's like a fire that melts cold hearts. God said his word is like a fire. You take a, the fire of God's word and though your heart is cold as ice, you can take the fire of God's word and plunge it into your cold heart. And like George Miller, just a couple of minutes later, maybe like just a few minutes ago, you begin to feel like praying. And having done this almost every day of my life since the 1st of March, 1985, I can testify that there is nothing in all my devotional life that more quickly or consistently kindles my consistently cold heart like praying the Bible. I almost never feel like praying when I go to pray. But the Word does its work. And lastly, I would like to tell you about this. I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 4. And the other two passages there, Jesus is on the cross and Matthew 27, 46, the very end, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is from, as you know, Psalm 22. And there is more prophetic 
indications of the cross in Psalm 22 than in all the gospels put together. Over and over, things like, you know, my, my tongue cleaves to my jaws. Of course, Jesus also said, I thirst. I'm surrounded by dogs, you know, the un- unbelievers. And over and over, more things are said about the physical aspects of crucifixion in Psalm 22 than all four gospels put together, actually. But at the beginning, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I believe that Jesus was praying through Psalm 22 on the cross. And to some degree, that's speculation, but we know this. We know why he prayed so briefly. He'd been beaten nearly to death. He was nearly, he was so thoroughly dehydrated. And in order to breathe and, and get enough air in his diaphragm to speak, it, his whole body weight is hanging on the three spikes. He had to push up on that spike in his feet to get enough air, oxygen in his diaphragm to speak. And that was so horrifically painful. They would sink back down. And so we know he spoke briefly. We know he was literally fulfilling Psalm 22 at that moment. I think it makes perfect sense that when he sank back down, he continued to pray through Psalm 22. And then at the end, Luke 23, 46 says, And to your hands I commit my spirit. You know what? I, I think, in fact, as many scholars believe, when Jesus was put on the cross, he began praying through the Psalms at nine in the morning near the end when he's in Psalm 22. That's near the afternoon, later in the afternoon. Then about three o'clock, he was at Psalm 32 because the last thing he said was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What's the point of all that? Jesus prayed the Psalms. Jesus prayed the Psalms. Now, I know to some degree that's that's speculation, but we, we know this. We know that he prayed the first verse in Psalm 22. We know why he spoke briefly. And since he was literally fulfilling all these things at this moment, I believe it makes perfectly sense, perfectly good sense, that he continued to pray through the Psalms while he was there. But then at the end, Let me ask you, ask you to turn to Acts 4. Peter and John had been threatened. And it says that when they were released, they went to their friends. They went back to the church and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Many scholars, in fact, believe that is a quotation from Psalm 146. But whether it is or not, let's go on. Verse 25, Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? Second half of verse 25, all of verse 26 is from Psalm 2. This is a place it says, And after they prayed, the place was shaken. What's the point? The early church prayed the Psalms. George Mueller, maybe the greatest man of prayer and faith since the early church, prayed the Psalms. Jesus prayed the Psalms. Why not you?
Thank you for listening to this episode of the EFCA Theology Podcast. You can find more episodes by searching EFCA Theology Podcast in any podcast app or on the web at efca.org slash podcast.